Have you ever wondered if it's possible to live in sync with your cycle instead of against it? Do you struggle with a negative mindset around sex with your spouse? Are you wondering if it's possible to live a full, healthy life without using contraception? We're going to explore these questions and so many more in the Managing Your Fertility podcast because this is about helping you live a whole and full life. I'm your host and guide, Bridget Busacker, joining you in the journey of exploration related to women's healthcare, sex and intimacy in marriage, and everything related to fertility awareness. Are you ready? Let's get started. I am so glad you're on the journey with me. Welcome to the show. I am so pumped about this three-part series. Yes, that's right. It's three-part because (laughs) this interview was like an hour and a half long and we got into the nuance of the topic of marital debt. So before we jump into this conversation, I want to introduce you to the individual who's joining me for this incredible interview, Dr. Tim Paul. He is a professor in the Department of Philosophy at the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota, and he works on metaphysics, philosophical theology, and moral psychology. In metaphysics, he works on truth-maker theory, modality, and free will. In philosophical theology, he has published on transubstantiation, Christology, and classical theism. And in moral psychology, he has worked with psychologists on questions concerning how best to grow in virtue and whether the traditional wisdom of the Christian moral tradition is conducive to growth in virtue. You can peruse his work, his research, publications at his website, www.timpaul.wordpress.com. So this is going to be a three-part interview series, like I mentioned at the beginning of this, because we are discussing the varied aspects of marital debt. Maybe you've heard of this before, or maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this phrase and you're thinking, what the heck is this? Well, this might sound like a heady conversation, but Dr. Paul does an incredible job of breaking down what the marital debt is, where it comes from, what it's not, if it's possible to say no to your spouse for sex, like, is it actually morally permissible? Because I see these conversations, I engage in conversations like this about this topic. And we are going to get into it and it gets nuanced and we're willing to go there. And I'm just so grateful that Dr. Paul was willing to hop on and dive much more deeply into this topic um, because it's not a 10 minute conversation. It does require a lot more time than that. And this is really uh, an opportunity for all of us to learn more and to bring this to prayer, bring it to conversation if you're married with a spouse, with friends, because I think it's worth exploring and being curious about this topic and what it could mean. there, there are a lot of strong feelings about this, uh, depending on the space you land in, uh, in Catholic circles. So that's why I wanted to have him on and really dive deep and go into it. So we're going to look at varied aspects of this controversial topic, and this is going to be part one of a three-part series. I'm so excited that you're here, and I hope this conversation blesses you. I want to tell you about one of my favorite Catholic shops, Be A Heart. I started following Erica Ty Campbell when she first launched her business, and I fell in love with her products. She creates such beautiful pieces that allow me to have reminders of my faith life throughout my home. And now she includes pieces like the Marian wristlet, scrunchies, blankets, and PJs for the kids. Her creativity astounds me, and I am so thrilled to be an affiliate with her business this year. If you're interested in trying out one of her products, or maybe a few, you can use my code to receive 10% off your order. Go to www.beaheart.com and use Managing Your Fertility, all one word, for 10% off your entire order. Tim, I'm really grateful to have you on the show, and I want to jump into a hard-hitting topic today that seems to create a lot of stress. A lot of confusion 
and lack of peace for couples. And it's the idea of duty sex or the marital debt. Uh, but first and foremost, I want to talk about definitionally, what does it mean, the marital debt that St. Thomas Aquinas writes about? And I often see come up in a lot of different spaces and circles, podcasts, uh, writings, where it seems that it creates, like I said, a lot of confusion for people. Yeah, happy to. And thanks so much for having me on your podcast too, Bridget. This will be great, I'm sure. Um, you ask about Aquinas, and I think that's the right place to go. But I think maybe a step back is what Paul says. And so look at we can look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. There he writes the following. Here's a quote. He says, Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that, end quote. So that's what Paul says about it. And that's where you get these discussions of debt coming up. The, the word duty was there, at least in the English. So what do we see there? Well, a couple important points. One is he's conceding this. He's not commanding it. It's due to the lack of self-control in people. Some will burn with desire tempted as they are by Satan. What's the thing to do then? Lest one fall into sin? Well, Paul says here, take a spouse and have sex only with that person to avoid the temptations of Satan. And you might wonder, well, what, what temptations are those? And here he's thinking primarily, of course, about sexual immorality, like fornication. A second thing to note is that the duty is symmetric. It goes both ways. The husband has it to his wife, and of course, the wife has it to her husband. And there's other words often used here, like uh, the word debt. Debitum is Latin's, uh, Aquinas' is Latin word for it, or as you might say, obligation is a third word you might use for this, obligation, duty, or, or debt. And a third point, and this might be the most important for our forthcoming conversation, a third point is it's, it's not absolute. So some duties are absolute, like not murdering. We, we never hear in scripture somebody say, uh, don't murder unless perhaps for a time. It's it's always <laughs> you always have uh, you. It's always absolute an absolute prohibition against murder. But here we do have an exemption clause built into the duty, and I think we'll find that's important when we talk about what all is involved in this duty. So that's the Paul portion, uh, not Tim Paul. That's the uh, Apostle Paul portion of it. That's really helpful I, because I think. Um... I've seen, I've seen Apostle Paul's uh, excerpt here from Corinthians. I've seen that and sometimes used in union with what Aquinas has written about, but sometimes separately as almost like, oh, here's just another reason that we're supposed to engage in sex no matter what, without necessarily seeing the relationship between the two or what Aquinas might have pulled from Paul, um, which I know you're going to get into here next. But I think it's really important, the idea that this duty is not absolute. And I'm excited for you to 
to go into that a little bit more of what does that mean that there's a there's an exception clause because honestly until until talking to you about that I did not realize that in reading it and I don't I, I don't know that I've ever heard that said about what Paul was saying oh wow yeah I mean you you're right to point out we, we find it in here in Paul but also we'll find it in Aquinas and we'll think about it a bit ourselves too and think of other ways you might build in exception clauses to it as well I mean, it's not trying to avoid a right or just duty. It's pointing out there's some situations in which acting on the duty is not the right thing to do. And lots of duties are like that too. Okay, so much for uh, the Apostle Paul. How about Aquinas? Aquinas, to my mind, talks about this most in two places. He's got uh, an early work. It's called the Sentence Commentary on Peter Lombard. Uh, Peter Lombard was a famous philosopher. And when you were getting... When you were getting your PhD, so to speak, when you're becoming a master, today we write dissertations, and back then they wrote commentaries on Peter Lombard's sentences when they were getting their advanced degrees. So in that commentary, Aquinas writes a fair bit about the marital debt, and then after he dies, his brothers, his um, not biological brothers, his brothers in the faith, his Dominican brothers, uh, gather up some of his older writings and supplement is Summa Theologica, which he, which he died while finishing, supplemented with the older stuff. So you find the same sort of discussion in that earlier sentence commentary and also in the Summa. And then the second place he talks about it is his commentary on Paul's letter to, to the Corinthians, his first letter. So that's where you find the stuff we'll be talking about. There, I think a neat thing to notice is that Aquinas too uh, lists some exception clauses or exemption clauses from this debt. And so we'll talk about those. He also lists times in which it's inappropriate or immoral to ask for the debt to be paid. So here, I think I'll just list a couple of those for each. A couple of times when Aquinas says you shouldn't ask, and a couple of times where he says it's okay to say no. Concerning the first, when you shouldn't ask, I'll list three. These aren't the only three. So you don't make a list of these three and then say these are the only ones that count. And you'll see when I, when I mention them... Um, well, you see what I mean. There's a difference in uh, how we view things now. But uh, times in which it's inappropriate to ask for the debt. The first, he says, in cases of detriment to the bodily health. And here's a quote. He says, quote, a wife cannot ask her husband for the debt to the detriment of his own bodily health, end quote. So that one makes sense. If it's going to harm your body to do it, if it's damaging to you, it's inappropriate for your spouse to ask you for it. Second, and here's what Aquinas says, is when the woman is menstruating. He says, quote, when, however, the woman is subject to a natural issue of the menstruum, the said issue lasts only a short time, therefore it is forbidden to approach her. In like manner, a woman is forbidden to ask for the debt during the period of that issue. Isn't that interesting? That <laughs> can't can't ask then. <laughs> the uh the reason behind that, I looked it up a bit. Um he was, he thought that if a woman has sex and gets pregnant while she's menstruating, that it'll lead to abnormalities in the children being born. <laughs> he had a, a 13th century embryology, which is no shame for a 13th century guy to have. And so now we know, of course, that's faulty. That's not, that's not true. And so um, his primary reasoning, though the moral issues he has right, the the empirical facts he has wrong. So that kind of skews him a bit on this particular issue. And finally, the third time when it's inappropriate to ask, he says, are holy days. He says it's unlawful to demand the debt on a holy day. So I think those are neat. It, one thing it shows us is how 
how differently Aquinas viewed some of these things than contemporary folks do. I wouldn't have thought that like a feast day would be an inappropriate time to ask my wife for sex, but um, I guess there's something about a holy day which demands it not be profaned in some sense by the activity of sex. And I think that's what he had in mind there. Yeah. Was that, was that something that many held that belief and that changed at some point? I just think it's, I don't know, just the language we have now for holy days, like, oh, you get to have sweets now. Like, oh, this is a time of celebration that I'd be like, this is a great time to have sex. Go celebrate, unite your bodies, you know, like as husband and wife. Awesome. So it just was funny when, when I, when I saw that, I was like, wait, what? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a, honestly, I don't know. I don't know why uh, Holy Days were ruled out. I can see why some of the somber ones, like Good Friday, uh, Ash Wednesday, I can see why you might think it's poor form to do it those days, uh, or more than poor form. But um, but yeah, just a random, like St. Valentine's Day, you know. Like, <laughs> <I don't> know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, really interesting. Yeah. So I had mentioned that um, I'll say some places where Aquinas claims it's impermissible to ask. And now I'll say the second set, sometimes where Aquinas claims it is permissible to say no. To the first, he says, it's contrary when it's contrary to your welfare as a person. Here's a quotation from Aquinas. He says, quote, the wife has no power over the husband's body, except as is consistent with the welfare of his person, as stated above. Wherefore, if she go beyond this in her demands, it is not a request for the debt, but an unjust exaction. And for this reason, the husband is not bound to satisfy her. End quote. You'll note in a lot of these, Aquinas has the, uh, the script flipped from how we often think about it. In a lot of these, you'll see it's, it's the wife approaching the husband and asking for sex and the husband being like, oh, if I have to, uh, saying that. And I think that maybe there's two reasons for that. Uh, two reasons that I thought of. First is in Paul's day and in Aquinas's day too, the means by which a woman receives some sort of financial stability in her life or just stability in general was often through having children, you know, like she had um, children who could support her in her old age. And um, if a husband is not providing that to his wife, he's um, intending to abstain when she could get pregnant and so have some stability later in her life. That's a, that's a wrong that should be righted. And so Aquinas sometimes has, or often has the woman be the approacher. And maybe that's what he's thinking there. I'm not sure. That was something I noticed in this example and, and just a few other spaces that I read where it was the, the woman approaching. And I was like, wow, that's so different than how we, like you said, how we talk about it today. It's it's often flipped and it's talking mm-hmm. about the man and his needs and there's no addressing of the woman and her needs. So I, I found that really fascinating to read that. But that makes sense as to one reason why it could be why she was being put in that position to approach. I like yeah. it. Like seeing the both and it's like, okay, well, that, that uh makes a little more sense seeing as what we know now about libido differences and mm-hmm. temperament personality so many different things go into a person's experience and why they may approach their spouse or maybe timid to approach their spouse whatever the reason might be so i, I think that's really interesting to see both yeah uh, being highlighted yeah uh, a second reason might be i get this feeling when i read aquinas on it too i i feel like he's like you know guys are just going to be guys and that means that they're going to be sitting around reading commentaries on scripture from St. Augustine. So that's, that's what <laughs> sit around and read commentaries on scripture. And then, you know, a woman might approach and you'd be like, oh, well, if I have to, 
know, I'll, I guess I'll go do that and then I'll get back to St. Jerome on what I should think of Lamentations in a little bit. And so you see a bit of his, maybe his personality coming out. You know, he's, he's a celibate, chaste man living among men. Uh, what he knows about this world, I can't really say, but I, none firsthand is what he knows about this world. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to think about it, too. I like that. <laughs> it's kind of funny to think about it that way, too. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, let's see. I gave the first reason, the welfare of a person. A second reason he gives why it's permissible to re reject the request is uh, he says, well, he has an objector say the following. He says, uh, further, the husband can sometimes request his wife not to exact the debt when she asks for it. And Aquinas here in his reply, he agrees, but he says, quote, a husband should not dissuade his wife from asking for the debt except for a reasonable cause. And even then he should not be too insistent on account of the besetting danger, end quote. So there you see that for a reasonable cause, you can say, please don't ask this debt from me right now. You can request it. And what's the besetting danger? Well, there, I imagine it's still sexual sin. So if the besetting danger is, look, if I don't get it here, I'm going to get it somewhere else. And so there, uh, the husband shouldn't say no too vociferously for fear that it'll lead the wife to mortal sin, I think is what he's saying there. Hmm. Another reason he says is uh, for personal ailment. He says, quote, she would not be bound to pay it if she had some personal ailment so as to make it dangerous for herself. That sounds like the personal welfare one, but it's more narrow. You know, welfare is broader than just bodily health. And so I think he's really focusing in on that. He, say, he says, uh, in public, that's another reason you can say <laughs> right now. He says, quote, with, uh, when the request comes, it says it must be, quote, with due regard to the decorum required in such matters. For this must not be done at once openly, end quote. So... It's another reason to say no thanks right now. This is a personal favorite of mine in the lineup. I'm not going to lie because I was just like, what? Right. I was just thinking too, like, was this, was this a problem during this time? Or like, maybe there was conversation, you know, I, I don't know. 13th yeah. century, you know, you think about movies where you're like, maybe they just did not understand decency and indecency. But anyway. Yeah. Well, many homes had no bedrooms at the time, you know, for the lower class. So may, I'm not sure. Yeah. I kind of, when I read that, when I was like, I was thinking that he thought something like, well, of course this is true. Of course, I shouldn't even have to say this, but you know, don't do it in public. That's, that's true. Yeah. Just thinking like the, the fringe, the fringe folk were like, dang it. That's what I was really hoping for. Right, right, now right. I can't. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they're taking all their, all their lessons from Thomas Aquinas. Exactly. <laughs> oh, can't do it. Okay. <laughs> And, uh, and finally, a last one. He says that spouses are permitted to try to dissuade one another when the petition comes. Indeed, he says they're allowed to allege illness. I was surprised to see that. Mm -hmm. So Aquinas, if you remember, he said that it's unlawful for a husband to ask when the woman is menstruating. And so he says, well, what about cases where he asks anyway? What do you do there? And here's what he says, quote, he's talking about what do the people think? Quote, wherefore others say, that a menstruous woman is never allowed to ask for the debt. And if her husband asks, he does so either knowingly or in ignorance, well, one or the other. If knowingly, she ought to dissuade him by her prayers and admonitions, yet not so insistently as possibly to afford him an occasion for falling into the other more sinful practices 
if he be deemed that way inclined. If, however, he ask in ignorance, the wife, sorry, the wife may put forward some motive or allege sickness as a reason for not paying the debt, unless there be fear of danger for her husband, end quote. So here he says, another reason you can give for not, uh, for not having sex is you can, <laughs> he says, allege sickness as a reason, which I was surprised, again, I was surprised to see that one. So, and I think you're going to get into this a little bit later, but this idea, unless there be fear of danger to her husband, you were mentioning this in, in a previous as well, that this idea of there's a moral danger that you need to protect your spouse from, like, are we talking like adultery or the risk of some, some type of affair fornication outside of the relationship that she would feel this need that she would to like, I don't know, keep him safe. <laughs> like, yeah. Phrase. I think that's the idea. Yeah. Um, you think of your spouse and you think, wow, if if we don't do this now, he's going to go commit adultery or masturbate or whatever. You know, he's, he's going to go do something that we both agree is a mortal sin. Mm -hmm. That's how the throes of his desires and passions he is now, how, how unable he is to act reasonably in this situation. And so maybe to save him, I'll do this. That's what, that's what it strikes me that Paul is encouraging when he says it's a concession because people are lacking in self-control and being tempted by Satan. I think that's what he's after. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which just seems uh, wrong to me. The idea that, you know, like, oh, well, in order to make sure that you don't masturbate or look at porn, I have to have sex with you. And really it's like, okay, well, we need to figure out this root issue here. Absolutely. Engage. And I know you're, you'll get into this too, but I just, I can totally see if someone reads this and then doesn't continue to logically walk through and think about like, well, how could this be detrimental? What we know now for relationships or even recommendations, if someone is navigating porn, they often say, okay, well, we need to stop having sex in order to heal the relationship and the other areas of intimacy is, can be a recommendation for that. Um, mm. how, you know, how you could take this totally, I don't know what, I don't know if it's taking it out of context, but just like missing part of the story and then thinking like, oh, this this is this is the way that it's going to help me heal when it may not at all, actually, and could cause yeah. more harm than good. That's just my gut reaction when I was hearing you say this. Yeah, no, it definitely is um, easily weaponized, I think, in the bedroom uh, for the sake of getting a, a reluctant partner to acquiesce. I think that's mm -hmm. what you can see here. And the, part of the reason why I gave this list of some somewhat silly uh, reasons for saying no and somewhat silly reasons for saying you can't even ask in this situation is just to show that um, it's not like a if I ask then you must sort of situation. St. Paul didn't see it that way. Thomas Aquinas didn't see it that way. Uh, there's many and various reasons based on prudence that they give for why you can say no and not be sinning and saying no. So even though I think lots of us think, well, during menstruation is not really an, a moral or immoral situation, it's important to see that there's plenty of reasons they gave. No one here in the history of the church was thinking, if I ask, then he or she must say yes. That That's not the view. So if someone is using that sort of view, I think they're just weaponizing scripture for their own immoral ends, the, the end of, you know, pleasure seeking. Yeah, which is just, I like the word weaponize because I think it really... Um, gives a different perspective as to how harmful this could be 
when oh. when taking this out of out of context or just to say I'm going to use this one instance and then I'm going to make it fit my reason yeah. with my spouse. Yeah. So so we have we have this not a full comprehensive list. We have this list of like different reasons why it would be immoral or reasons why you could say yes, why you can say no. So do you think there is in some sense now talking about Paul, we've talking about Aquinas here and and giving some context there is a duty to have sex in marriage? Well, I think that a healthy marriage is one in which neither spouse perpetually withholds sex from the other. And since we ought to aim at healthy marriages, I think we ought to aim to fulfill the requirements for such marriages. And I think that does include not withholding sex perpetually. But, um, so that, I guess that's some reason to think there's something like an obligation to um, marital acts, to, to having sex at some point or other, not always withholding it from the other. That's a far cry from saying, if someone asks, then you must give. Like, I've got an obligation to feed my children too, but I don't have the obligation that if they ever ask, then I must give immediately, you know? And there are times where it's important for me to say, not now. You know, if if I see my children maybe leaning too far into gluttony, I might say, you know, I know you want a snack. I know you're feeling hungry. It's probably good for you to get used to this feeling a little bit. It's not going to hurt you. And I think we'll eat a nutritious and healthy meal later. Put the put the ho-ho or the, you know, Twinkie or whatever it is, put it back. I think yeah. that's a fair thing to say for the sake of the love I have for the other so that they grow more in virtue and don't inculcate a vice. And I think the same thing can be said with other obligations we have too, like the marital debt, you know, not always withholding sex from our partner. So... Yeah, I do think there's a sense, it's an attenuated sense, but a real sense in which all of us are obligated not to perpetually withhold sex from our partners. Yeah. Um, but even as Paul himself says, it's not binding at all times and in all places. He gives a precept, this is what you have to do, and in the next sentence gives the exemptions for it. And the same thing happens with Aquinas then. So to my mind, the real question isn't whether... Uh, a spouse has a feasible obligation to have sex with the other spouse sometime or other. I think, yeah, you've got an obligation, but it can be trumped. And it's to have sex, you know, to not always withhold sex. I think the better question is, you know, under what conditions is there a moral weight behind the request from one spouse to the other for sex? And I think there we've seen Aquinas give some conditions and later I think we'll give some more to where um, sometimes there's some moral weight behind it, but it's not the sort of thing that says, drop everything and do it. And it's not even the sort of weight that requires you to do it that day. Yeah, I think I like I really like the analogy you gave with your with your kids, the idea that you know, I have an obligation to feed my children but not right now. And in some sense too that prudence that's required to see okay, is this actually best for now and now transitioning back with a spouse like is this best for us right now? Is this the best for us right now, can we be prudent in a way in which when we engage and how we engage? I think it just mm -hmm. gets that and opens the space for conversation where there may be miscommunication or lack of communication. If there if there is a sense of perpetually withholding, that's that is, I would agree with you, that is a problem because mm -hmm. something else is going on that's deeper to say, like, why, why is the continual response no? Because yeah. call that John Paul II reminds us of a free, total, faithful, fruitful love. And in you know, in our, in our vows and our marriage vows to be, you know, openly, faithfully loving our spouses, open to children, open to the gift of life, open to the goodness of love mm -hmm. that we have for each other. Like, what does that, 
what does that look like? And I think that opens up a lot more conversation to say what's going on if withholding is taking place perpetually because something's off. Yeah, I think you're right. It's it's more a symptom there than the real root. It's mm -hmm. a symptom of some other deeper problem, like you said. I think one thing that's important to add here too is that the, the marital debt, as uh, Paul and Aquinas talk about it, it's not a license for the husband or, or the wife, I guess, but it's not a license for the husband to pressure his wife to have sex on account of the alleged fact that she should be having sex with him. It is always, and it's everywhere, wrong for a person to force another into sex against the other's will. That's rape, and in marriage, it's spousal rape, which is still a type of rape, and it's a mortal sin. If she doesn't freely consent, that is free of duress and of threats and of browbeating and of coercion, whether emotional or physical or spiritual coercion, if she doesn't freely consent, then it's intrinsically immoral to have sex with her. Just as a marriage can't be licitly entered without free consent of the parties, so likewise the act of marriage, the marital act, can't be performed licitly without the free consent of the parties. So just to reiterate, sex with an unwilling partner, spouse or not, is rape, and it's a damnable mortal sin. I'm so glad you addressed this because I've seen this come up um, in different spaces and currently in reading the uh, book by Sheila Gregory. She's a uh, Christian, not Catholic, but in talking about and giving an example of marital rape and how this can occur, um, it's a, it's, it's real. It's not something that I think um, we can brush off and it does tie into this conversation and, and what it would look like if you are forcing your spouse in some way, shape or form. Like you said, physical, emotional, spiritual, um, that's a problem and that can't be happening. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to the husband who says, well, wait a second, like she should be having sex with me now. You know, she's required to, the Bible says so and says to his wife, you know, you're disobeying God and the church. If you don't do this, you'll have to confess and so on and so forth. To the husband that says that sort of stuff, I guess I have two things to say. And the first is it's a misinterpretation of scripture in the tradition for neither the scripture nor tradition says that one has an absolute obligation to render sex when asked for it. You won't find it. It's not there. And second, I want to remind him that in badgering for sex, he's attempting to invoke a concession on the part of the apostle, aimed at mitigating a serious character fault in him. It's his lack of self-control through which Satan is now tempting him to sexual immorality. It's his own immorality, his own lack of, uh, his own lack of temperance, his own confessible sin that's got them into this pickle. So I think he ought to remove the plank from his own eye before he starts criticizing his wife for, for saying no in this alleged situation in which she has to say yes. Thanks for listening to this conversation with Dr. Tim Paul. This is part one of a three-part series. So if you're wondering, okay, that ended kind of weirdly, what's going on? It's part of a three-part series. So you will be able to get access next Monday to the next part. And I am so looking forward to this conversation continuing. So stay tuned. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe, share with your friends, and help expand the conversation around women's health. If you're loving the podcast, could you please leave a review? I want these conversations to get into the headphones of more men and women to invite them on a journey of wholeness too. Thank you so much in advance. It means so much to me. You can find more support for charting, instructor guidance, guides, courses, and more by visiting my website, www.managingyourfertility.com. You can also find me on social media at Managing Your Fertility. 
And don't forget to subscribe to my email list for exclusive content and weekly conversations. Thank you so much for being here. Until next time. Thank you for helping next generation of women like me. Thank you.